Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Heavenly Father, Lord God, uh, we bless you. We bless your Son, Jesus Christ. We bless the Holy Spirit, the Triune God. Um, we thank you that this uh, first Advent Sunday, uh, again, it's an, uh, a great time of celebration, again, and, and also of mystery, of how uh, to understand how uh, the infinite God can become finite. And again, that we are rejoiced that the Messiah has come, and not only has he come, but he has accomplished uh, the work that he was sent for, uh, to redeem a people unto himself, and that we are that people. And so we, we bless you and we thank you for our time together. We do pray again as we uh, continue our study of Pilgrim's Progress that, Lord, you would help us uh, to be careful, uh, that you would help us to, to think deeply about these things and to, to understand again that, uh, that we, for, for some here, Lord God, they would be encouraged, uh, that some, for some they would be challenged, uh, that, Lord God, that you would have a message uh, for each one of us here, that you would speak to us through your word, and not only just in this time, but in our prayer time, in our, in our, when we sing hymns to you, uh, when we fellowship, when we hear the word preached, again, we are seeking to, to commune with you, to draw near to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we bless you and thank you for this day, uh, and we want to commit it in your hands and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All righty, here we go. We do have some uh, paper handouts up here for those of you who are old school still. There's nothing, no shame. I'm real old school. Speaking of old school. I know you're not talking about me. <laughs> no, I was not. Yes, I was. Okay, yes. All right, we are um, past, again, a Christian surviving uh, the valley of humiliation and the valley of the shadow of death. If you remember all that last week. And we are actually uh, on page one of my outline. Now, I don't have the actual textbook with me because this morning, being the age that I am apparently, I'm forgetting things. My wife and I have this debate about who um, is forgetting more as we get a little bit older. And of course, I get out of the car and I do have my handouts on my Bible, but I don't even have my, my Pilgrim's Progress book. So hopefully all my, my memory will not fail me now and uh, we can follow the outline pretty, pretty well. So what happens, if, as you remember last time, is that Christian was going through the valley of, hum, uh, of humiliation. I'm sorry, the shadow of death. And in the midst of it, as we have the darkness and the demons and all these terrible things that are happening, uh, he heard a voice, right? And not the, 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 the voice we talk about, the voice of the tempter and, and of the accuser and so on, but he hears a human voice. He hears someone who's ahead of him who is quoting Psalm 23, all right? And it gives him encouragement. And so he, this is where we kind of leave off in the story. And you can see the very top here. And I'm just going to read it, and we'll start unpacking it. So, now as Christian went on his way, he came to a little ascent, which was built on purpose, that pilgrims might see ahead of them. Therefore, Christian went up. And looking forward, he saw faithful ahead of him on his journey. Okay, let me just stop right there. So, the other character, the other person is named Faithful. All right. Now, by the way, I love these names, all right, because, again, this is going to be the companion that uh, is going to walk with Pilgrim on this pilgrimage, and he's going to be this Christian friend who is described as being faithful. And how beautiful and how wonderful that is if you have a Christian friend who you can say, well, they're, they're faithful, all right? They're faithful to the Lord. They're faithful to me, okay? So it's, this is a great blessing for a Christian. 
So, so Christian sees this, this person ahead of him. He says, At this, Christian roused and putting forth all of his strength, quickly caught up with Faithful, and even ran past him, so the last became the first. Then Christian smugly smiled because he had gotten ahead of Faithful, but not watching where he was going, he suddenly stumbled and fell and was unable to get back up until Faithful came to help him. Then I saw in my dream that they went on this very amiably together and had sweet conversation about the things that had happened to them, each of them on their pilgrimage. So this is a really kind of comical kind of thing here is that, you know, again, a pilgrim, pilgrim Christian sees the guy in front of him and they're kind of, it's, it goes down. And so Christian at this point is just tired of being behind this dude. So he's like, I'm just going to run. Okay, I'm just going to chase him, right? I'm going to catch up with him. And he runs, he's got the armor on, and he jets right past him. Okay, I don't know if there's like a little slope. I don't know if you ever had this happen before. You're running, and you go way, you go past the person, and he stumbles, boom, 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 and he falls, right? And then he's kind of like, oh, my, I'm bad, all right? And here comes Faithful's like, let me help you up, all right? But as an allegory, um, Bunyan would say, this is an example where Pilgrim struggles with pride. Okay, there'll be some, when he stumbles uh, and falls, uh, and this is an example where, that's why I think the word smugly is in there. That's a, kind of a term for, again, a, a reference to some kind of prideful attitude. If you look at the very bottom of the page there, um, on point D, this was not Christian's first struggle against pride, and it talks about different times, again, in the story so far where he has struggled with uh, this particular issue. Now, um, and I, and I also want to bring this up, too, because we'll be talking again about different temptations and different struggles that, that these pilgrims have. And for Christian, this is his particular, right? And it might be yours also. Okay, and so again, here's Christian, who is a Christian, who still struggles occasionally at times with you know, being self-seeking or being prideful in some form or fashion. Now, let's talk about on point uh, page two here, the value of Christian friendship. I've already made reference to, again, about you know, the, the, the beauty of the name Faithful, but I, I also want to, it's deliberate on the title, the, the value of Christian friendship. We, this morning in our prayer meeting, we we're talking about you know, praying for one another. And again, what's the value of that, all right? And um, I'm going to make the observation, I think biblically you can make the observation, the importance of having brothers and sisters, being in fellowship, being in community, having these relationships, again, that as we go through this pilgrimage of life, and as hard as it is and difficult as it is, there's times when we need encouragement. There's times we need accountability. There's times when we need to have someone come alongside of us who knows us, who loves us, who's willing to speak into our lives, and basically God's going to use that person to bless us. Right? And that's faithful, but I'd make the point here is that you'll see this with Christian from this point on, all right? Is that up to this point, he's been kind of walking solitary by himself. And then from this point on, he's going to be with someone, and they're going to go through some very difficult times, but he's not alone. All right? God's with them, and of course, this, this, uh, this faithful Christian friend as, as well. That's why I've got some verses here, uh, which you're probably familiar with. You have Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You have Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I always love that one. I mean, we, you have a friend who's willing to wound you, right? Um, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And then, of course, uh, Proverbs 7, 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So from this point on, as they're walking on this path, they begin basically sharing their story. Okay, just like, again, if you were meeting with someone, you were having lunch with someone, and they would ask you, well, tell me your story. You know, how did you become a Christian? Um, you know, what's, what's, you know, how did you get to this place, this point? And that's what the, the, both of these guys are doing here. 
Now, Faithful begins his account by how he escaped the city of destruction. And so both uh, Christian and Faithful are from the same place. All right, so they kind of knew each other, and Christian leaves first, and Faithful follows behind them. And, and they've, been, they've been trying to catch up with each other. Basically, Faithful has been trying to catch up with Christian, and then they kind of pass each other, and they kind of, you know, but they've been trying, they know that each one's out there. It's interesting with Faithful that he doesn't fall into the Slav despond, right? When we're talking about the Slav despond. And again, for Bunyan, since he's the author of this allegory, he struggles with depression. And we've talked about this before, right? Um, so Faithful avoids this, and he gets to the gate, but he meets a person called Wanton. Okay, Wanton. Now, before we get into Wanton, I want to kind of read the little footnote here uh, at the bottom. It says here, The fact that Faithful was untroubled by the Slav of the Spawn in contrast with Christian, and yet was severely tried by seductive Wanton, is attended by Bunyan to convey the important truth that according to individual characteristics, pilgrims are prone to be troubled by distinctive temptations. Okay, and that's one thing you see here, that everybody has kind of a different story, all right? And so, again, if I was talking with you about your walk with Christ, about how you became a Christian, uh, your life story, there will be certain temptations, certain weaknesses, certain things that, that you're prone to, right? Now, if I share my story, we might have some agreement, but again, I may be strong in one area where you're weak, but it could be reversed as well. And every single person has unique temptations, unique struggles, to their lives, all right? And sometimes they're the same and sometimes they're different. And the reason I bring this up a lot of times is that we have a tendency to criticize those who, you know, for example, I may have a, um, I don't have a problem with in a certain area, for, for example, maybe with, with gluttony or with, um, you know, the seven deadly sins kind of thing, uh, with certain sins, and yet my brother might, okay? And so what I might do, again, is I might think, well, you know what, man, that guy's a, you know, he's weak. Or that person somehow, is there somehow, uh, uh, I may criticize them. Remember about last week, last Sunday, when Jeff was did his, his, uh, his uh, sermon last week? Okay? Jeff talked about showing grace and mercy and kindness and humility towards the weaker brother or, so, or a brother who's just different. Yes? Okay? And so in this case here, same idea. Now, with this particular uh, problem that, that uh, Faithful is going to run into is the wanton woman. Okay? And you say, what's a wanton woman? Well, let me tell you, on page three, very top here. The wanton, wanton represents sexual immorality and moral failure. Her name means a licentiousness and loose, reckless, and unrestrained, lewd and lustful, wild and wandering. She has a flattering tongue. Of course, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about this. Makes persuasion and persistent overtures and promises all manner of content, uh, Proverbs 7.18, but her proposal is deceitful. And of course, when we talk about immorality, the immoral woman, okay, uh, this is like putting, this, it's on the nose here, that we live in a society, of course, of great immorality, okay? Of great immorality. We're an immoral society, right? And so for a lot of Christians, they struggle with this, okay? This is kind of one of those unspoken things we don't talk about in the church a lot, right? But it's, it's dead on, all right? That a lot of people struggle with, with again, sexual temptation, things like that. And that's what happens here with, uh, with Faithful. Now, what's interesting is uh, that uh, if you look at point two here, Faithful does not congratulate himself or commend, commend himself for escaping from one. So, again, she kind of does her, her, you know, kind of you know, her uh, temptation towards him and resists, okay? But when Christian speaks of Faithful's escape, Faithful responds by saying, Nay, I know not whether I did wholly escape her or not. Again, kind of old English there a little bit. Though he assures Christian that he did not fall into sin, he doesn't assure himself with his fortitude or spiritual maturity in being able to resist sin. 
He understands how forceful temptation can be. He doesn't speak of the encounter lightly. Rather, he has a healthy suspicion of his own heart and a lingering grief over the charm of sin which was, which was, which so entice him. The experience has humbled him and made him more cautious, more dependent upon God's grace. And he kind of talks about the importance of humility and dependence upon the Lord. Um, also, you have here a quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon, remember we talked about, he did, wrote a book about the different characters uh, on Pilgrim's Progress. And um, he will say at the very bottom of subpoint three, Observe that although Faithful did not yield to wanton's tempting, he says, I know not whether I did not, did not wholly escape her or no. The probability is that the temptations of the flesh, even when resisted, do us an injury. If the coals do not burn us, they blacken us. The very thought of evil, and especially of such evil, is sin. We can hardly read a newspaper report of anything of this kind without having our minds in some degree defiled. There are certain flowers which perfume the air as they bloom, and I may say these matters that they scatter in ill savor as they are repeated in our ears, and so on. Remember, Spurgeon's writing this. This is in you know, the uh, 19th century, right, when his time period. And he's just like saying that um, in England at that time, you could just read the newspapers and be almost be tainted by the corruption that the stories and the sensationalism and things going on. How much more so, so in our time? How much more so in Idaho? Literally, you can't turn around and not see something that you shouldn't see. You cannot open something up. And again, just, I mean, it's a, I just want to go on. You, you know what I'm saying, right? So again, how, so basically Faithful says, yeah, I escaped her, but I still got tainted by her. I still got affected by her in some fashion, and I have to be more on guard. Now, the next dude, uh, this point B here, is that, uh, so Faithful arrives at the Hill Difficulty. And we talked about the Hill Difficulty before. It says here, Christian was familiar with this hill. He counted it earlier in the story and had struggled to reach its summit. When Faithful arrived, arrived at the foot of the hill, he met a very aged man named Adam the First. Okay, Adam the First, all right? And so this is, uh, where do we hear a reference here? Where we uh, heard this before? Adam the First, the first Adam. My theologians in the room a little bit. Romans yeah. 5 Thank you very much, sir. Romans 5, that's right, okay? Again, the first Adam and the second Adam, right? You know, of course. And this, uh, this is a, an, um, it's, uh, it's personification, again, of the old nature. The, again, being in Adam and the old nature. And so basically what happens, if you can picture this, is that uh, Faithful's at the, the bottom of the hill, and here comes old Adam. And he initially, he looks like, um, you know, he's not a threat. You know, he's actually kind of a welcoming kind of guy. And basically, he makes a proposal to Faithful. And he says here, um, if that Faithful would come home with him, then he would make Faithful his heir. Okay, he'd make his heir. And not only top of that, that his house uh, was maintained with all the dainties of the world. Okay, all the dainties. You know what a dainty is? Okay, uh, all the good stuff that basically this world has to offer is in the house of Adam the first, right? And this is the flesh. This is, again, the fallen human flesh. Um, this, again, is pretty much Christmas. I'm sorry, in America. Um, this is, I'm sorry, Christmas drives me crazy. Um, but all the ads and all the stuff they're trying to sell you to make sure that you're happy and content, and this is the, this is the true meaning of Christmas and all that kind of stuff, that's in this guy's house, all right? On top of it, he's got three daughters. Okay, and uh, the, the daughters are uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And again, this is allusion to, again, 1 John 2, uh, 15 through 17. And if you're not familiar with the passage, the Apostle John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, 
but the one who does the will of God lives forever. That's 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So on page four of your outline, if you look at uh, the kind of the second uh, point there, Adam the first represents our struggle with our old nature that has been corrupted by sin. Though we are saved by grace, sin still indwells us. Though we are rescued from sin's dominion and penalty, we still feel some of its power and presence. Uh, what often makes sin so difficult to recognize and to resist is that it wells up within us. And so um, you have basically then Christian interviews, they have the, going back in the text, Christian says, well, what conclusion did you and the old man come to at last? And so Faithful wants to go. He's kind of inclined to go. He basically says, this is a good deal. I get to get everything in this world, and I get the ladies with me. And so I basically said, this, is a, this, is, this sounds kind of appealing. And then it's interesting, he says, um, as he's taught, people's talking to First Adam, it says here, at first I found myself inclined to go, for his words were very appealing to me, but as I talked with him, I saw written on his forehead, put off the old man with his wicked deeds. All right, so right across the forehead, basically, he has a big old sign saying, flee. You know, basically, this is your, with your, your, your sinful nature, put it off, mortify it, put it to death. And again, so Faithful says, I ain't going. Right? You can take your goods, go. And then old man Adam gets violent and basically grabs at him as, as Faithful turns and yanks him. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's just almost like this. He's tearing his something from his flesh. It's a violent action. It's a painful action. And Bunyan's going to kind of make this point here is that about the struggle we have with our flesh, right? That again, it's, it's a, you know, this body of death, as Paul's going to talk about in Romans 7. And a lot of times, again, it's this war that goes on within us. And a lot of times it's painful. And we, as we fight against it, struggle against it, resist it. Um, and, it's, and it just goes on and on. So old man Adam tries to do this and basically, you're coming with me. And Faithful says, no, I'm not. You can see on here, too, is that, uh, at the very bottom here, <clears throat> is at point four. So uh, Faith will say, so I escaped and went up my way up the hill. Now, this is where it gets interesting, too, is that as he's going up the hill difficulty, is that someone comes up behind him. All right, I'm just going to read this and so you can kind of get an idea. Now, when I had gone about halfway up, this is Faithful talking, I looked behind me and someone coming up uh, after me as swift as the wind. He overtook me just about the place where the arbor stands. Remember the arbor? That's where Christian lost the scroll. Remember that? Place of rest. And so, um, and Christian goes, hey, I remember that place. I lost my scroll there. And he's still kicking himself a little bit about that, all right? And then Faithful kind of goes, but good brother, hear me out. Basically, you know, Faithful has to tell Christian, like, let, let me tell my story, okay? Um, as soon as the man overtook me, he gave me a blow and knocked me down, nearly killing me. When I somewhat revived, I asked him why he abused me so. He replied, because of your secret inclining to Adam the first. With that, he struck me another deadly blow on my chest and beat me down backward, so I lay at his feet as dead. When I recovered again, I cried to him for mercy, but he said, I do not know how to show mercy. And with that, he knocked me down again. No doubt he would have made an end of me, but that one came by and commanded him to refrain. Okay, so this is kind of a really violent thing here. Here's, you know, Faithful going up the hill. There's the arbor saying, hey, I'm able to stop here and take a little break. And then this, this guy comes behind him and knocks him down, right? And just as to knock him down, he's like beating him, right? And it's like, if you can imagine, okay, it's like, what's going on here, right? Uh, what did I do to deserve this? And every time he tries to get up, here's this guy, knocks him back down again. And what is symbolic is the law, okay, the law. Um, and so if you go look at uh, on here, uh, on the outline here, report, uh, point five, 
Uh, Moses represents the work of the law. This is Moses, basically the man who's beating him down. Uh, faithful struggle with Moses affirms that we can never achieve or maintain a right standing before God on the basis of our own efforts of obedience. No matter how successful we have been or how much progress we seem to make, our works will, can never save us. Our efforts can never satisfy God's righteousness. And so again, here's this idea about that if you understand God's law and if you're being judged by God's law, it's, it's severe. It's, it, ha, it's, um, um, it takes, uh, yeah, I was at a great word and just lost my, my mind here. The point is, again, it condemns us. It reveals our sin, it condemns us, it cannot save us. And again, um, and in this case here, this is where, uh, if you look at point seven, um, we need one greater than Moses who, if we are find to help, find the help we need. Uh, the law cannot show us mercy or give us life, but can point us to the one who can. The law is our tutor to bring us to Christ, and we may justify by faith, Galatians 3.24. The law kills, only the Spirit can give life, 2 Corinthians 3.6. When faith was left to dead at the feet of Moses, he had no hope in himself. But God, sent, God in his mercy sent a rescuer. And of course, again, that's Christ basically saying, restraining Moses in this, uh, in this situation where, again, uh, faith was condemned because of his inclination to, to go. All right, real quickly on page six here. I want to read the second paragraph on the application real quickly here. It says, Here in the path, these two brothers cheer and admonish one another. We are each prone in very varying degrees to different fears and temptations. We don't have all the same strengths and weaknesses. There's the blessing of Christian discipleship that we can share our joys and struggles on the journey. We can learn much from one another as we pray for and encourage one another along the way. Let us resolve to walk together in faith and continually point one another to the hope we have in Christ alone. Okay, so this is kind of the back, the ground. This is faithful story. They're done with it, okay? And now they're actually on the path, and they notice there's a dude. There's a person in front of them, all right? And this is going to get interesting. You can see in point three here, his name is Talkative. Okay, Talkative, all right? And it's right on the nose, all right? And you think about people who just won't shut up, all right? Now, it's, that's not the person. All right, this is not a person just having self-control and this talk, 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 talk. This is a person that kind of scares me, quite honestly. So it goes on here, it says, Moreover, I saw my dream as they went on. Faithful happened to look on one side, and I saw a man whose name was Talkative, walking at a distance beside them. For in this place there was room enough for them all to walk. He was a tall man, and somewhat better looking at a distance than near at hand. Okay, all right. Um, okay, Faithful addressed talkative in this manner. So here comes Faithful. He's going to take the initiative. He's going to go talk to talkative, all right? He says, friend, where are you going? To the heavenly country? Talkative says, yes, I'm going to that very place. Faithful, that is good. And I hope we may have your good company. Talkative, I'd be glad to be your companion. Faithful, come on, let's travel together. Let's spend our time discussing profitable things, all right? So you get this idea from first impressions. Again, talkative is impressive. He's again. He's in fact. If you look on page seven up there, um, he's bold. He's enthusiastic. He's well spoken. Um, I mean, he looks the part. I mean, basically, he's like the perfect pilgrim on the way. And talkative is. is I feel faithful is is excited about this. Like, hey man, we found a keeper. Now, this guy's high quality stuff, man. We got to go on the celestial city and Christian. Here we go. We got it. We got a guy. All right. And so some commendable things about uh, talkative here in the, in the text. And there's, I know there's a few here. Um, he is cordial and gratified uh, by the company of other pilgrims. He is fervent in how he speaks of his faith. He's walking the path of a pilgrim toward the heavenly country. He enjoys talking about the things of God. He expresses delight in God's word and knows his Bible well. He sees value in learning truth and, and knowing doctrine. 
He is concerned that there's little understanding of the gospel of grace. He affirms salvation by grace alone, apart from works. He is willing to address any subject, provided that the conversation is profitable. Now, here's the clencher. Here's the question that Bunyan is bringing up. Is he a true pilgrim? All right? Because things don't always, not always as they appear, all right? What's shocking a little bit about, to when I first read this, I mean, I've read this a number of times, but my first impression would be is like, this guy is a Christian. This guy is, actually is a pilgrim. And Bunyan goes, eh, I don't think so. All right? So if you know, if you kind of go down to uh, point B and C there, uh, now the conversation shifts. Uh, faithful steps aside to speak privately with Christian. Okay, so originally Faithful's talking to talkative, and now he talks to Christian, and Christian's kind of off to the side watching everything, all right? And Christian knows what's up, all right? He knows what's up. So talkative, he's the younger dude. He goes to talk to Christian and says, look, I found a really great guy to go with this, and Christian's going to set him straight, all right? So Christian knows the truth about talkative. He knows his, of his reputation among family and friends in the sea of destruction. And I thought it was interesting, too. He knows of his reputation. Okay? So what is your reputation outside this, these walls? What's your reputation with your neighbors? What's your reputation with your coworkers? What's your reputation with your, with your relatives? Since we're kind of in this holiday season kind of thing. What's your reputation? I, I find a lot of times we don't really care about reputation, but as Christians, we must care about our, our reputations. Because we represent Christ, okay? And so for, for talkative, though, his rep back in the city of destruction is not good, all right? Christian raises three serious concerns that should give faithful pause in his assessment of talkative. All right, so let's look at number one here. Though talkative speaks well, his life doesn't measure up to his talk, okay? He walks a walk, but he doesn't talk, he talks talk, doesn't walk the walk, Okay. Um, so faithful uh, says, talking to Christian, and Christian says, God forbid that I should jest, though I smiled in this matter, or that I should accuse anyone falsely. I will tell, some, tell you something more about him. <coughs> Talkative is, is for any company and for any talk. Just as he now talks to you, so he will talk when he's at the tavern. And the more drink he has in his head, the more talk he has in his mouth. Now this next line is very, very important. True religion has no place in his heart or house or conduct. All his boasted religion lies merely in his tongue. And that's what scares me. Okay, because again, um, a lot of the focus, a lot of times, I, I'm speaking for myself here, okay, is about knowledge and information and truth and facts. And, and I'm not, and those are important, all right? But we're going to see here, talkative has all these qualities. Right? He's, he's got the information, he's got the diploma, he's got the pedigree, he's got the impression. And from, all, from our perspective, he looks legit, he looks genuine. But Christian's going to say here is that I know him, okay? Not here, uh, not in this setting. I know him where he lives. I know where he works. I know his family. I know his friends. I know his reputation. And everything about him says he's a hypocrite. We like that word, don't we? Okay, the hypocrite. And so in this case here, of course, the scriptures talk a lot about this. Um, from uh, here, Matthew, from Matthew's gospel, which is taking a quote, a quote from uh, Isaiah. You hypocrites, Jesus speaking here, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the precepts of men. You have 2 Timothy 3, 5, where Apostle Paul writes, they maintain the outward appearance of religion, but they have repudiated its power, so avoid people like these. And, and they're gonna, you're gonna hear this, the term a lot, the power of religion, the power of religion the substance of religion, the reality of religion, okay? Is there really, again, anything that's real 
spiritually in the heart. Then you have, of course, the book of James here. Um, James is really going to be important in our whole discussion here, but just for James from chapter 1, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If, or if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Well, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And there are tons of passages just like this, right? And so, talkative doesn't measure up. He's, again, he talks, but he doesn't walk. And then I like the next point here on page eight. Talkative appears to be a, a passionate pil uh, pilgrim. His life looks better from a distance than close up, all right? And this is, again, uh, I'm gonna read this. This is what uh, Christian's gonna say. His house is as, is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of flavor. At his home, there is neither prayer nor repentance for sin. Even the brute animals serve God far better than he. To all who know him, he is the very stain, reproach, and shame of religion. Because of him, God's name is blasphemed at the end of town where he dwells. Thus the people who know him say, a stain abroad and a devil at home. His poor family finds it so. As he is such an ogre, he is so unreasonable with the servants and scolds him so that they neither know what to do with him or how to speak with him. Men who have any business with him say that it's better to deal with infidels than with him. For then they would have fair dealings. For talkative would go beyond them to defraud, beguile, and cheat them. He also brings up his sons to follow his steps, and he finds, if any of them, a foolish tenimity, for so he calls the first appearance of a tender conscience, then he calls them fools and blockheads, like Charlie Brown and will neither employ them nor recommend them to others. Okay, this guy is bad, <laughs> okay? But again, this is my thing that about hypocrisy is that how many times at church you, play, you learn to play the game? You learn to play the game, right? You, you have the outward appearance, you know how to speak, right? You learn the lingo, the Christian lingo. You dress up kind of nice, better than me. Um, and uh, you pay your tithe or you sing the songs, whatever. And the point is, but what happens after church? Okay, because I've been convicted by this all the time. Yeah? I'll hear a sermon, I'll hear something, the Lord's convicted me, those spoken to me, and then I'll go home and, and, and the challenge that to apply it, to live it, right? And what about Monday? What about Tuesday? And again, all these people, again, if you really want to know kind of who my testimony, talk to my wife. Talk to my children. Talk to my students. Talk to my coworkers. Talk to my relatives. Because I would hope, again, I would pray again by God's grace that then when they talk, they, they talk about me, they talk about Jesus. They see something about Jesus. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're, again, and this is not sinless perfectionism because if you talk to my wife and my kids, anybody who knows me will tell you, okay, that yes, there are times when I do sin. But by God's grace, there's repentance. And by God's grace, there's asking for forgiveness. And there's a, um, you know, you're trying to live out the gospel in front of people. But this guy here, this is a total act, right? And sometimes in the church, there are people who are just like this. And that's why from the pulpit and in the fellowship and so on, you're gonna have faithful who's gonna be faithful to talkative, and he's gonna challenge him. He's gonna challenge him. Do you live this out? 
Where's the power of, your, of, of salvation, of religion? Where's the substance of it? Has your heart truly been changed? So, uh, you know, Christian's pretty severe with this guy, all right? Now, if you go to point three here, though talk of his fervent and how he speaks of his faith, his witness before others is both deceptive and dangerous. And again, he's a stumbling block. And this is a thing you, you'll, you'll find, again, when, when someone sins, again, is that you're bringing discredit upon the gospel, discredit upon Jesus Christ. And I know for me, and I'm not using myself as an example, but again, that is one of the most grievous things to me, to besmirch or to somehow deny Jesus or somehow cause him to be less beautiful or, or I'm not uh, treating God as holy as he should be in my life. This guy basically is a stumbling block. And you know what Jesus talked about? Stumbling blocks. Pretty severe language. So um, on page nine here, Faithful to, to, uh, confronts Talkative. And so, you know, Talkative has been waiting. He's been waiting for something to talk about, right? He's just kind of biding his time. And then uh, Faithful comes up to him and says, okay, I want to talk now. And Talkative says, man, I thought we'd be talking a lot about a lot of stuff already. Um, and so Christian says to him, okay, so Christian gives advice to, to Faithful, says, this is what you need to say. So um, go, why go to him and enter into some serious discourse about the power of religion? Then ask him plainly when he's when he is approved of it for that he will whether the power of religion is set up in his heart, house, and conduct. And so again, the the sub point on this on point one there is that talkative desire for conversation allows faithful to choose the question. And this is the question: What are the evidences of saving grace in the heart? What are the evidences of saving grace in the heart? You know how? And again, this is a very practical question theologically. Okay, because again. How do I know? Now, again, I, I, I believe in the, the objective truth of the gospel, okay, and the, the finished work of Christ on my behalf. I'm not saved by how I feel. It's, I'm saved by the truth of, the, of what Christ is, who he is and what he's done, right? But I do want to see again, again, if I'm born again, I have a new heart, and you have a new heart, right? And there's new desires now, right? We talk about, again, uh, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, a gentleness, self-control, right? That better be in some manifestation of my life. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. Second commandment, etc., etc., etc. Now I want to be pleasing to him. I want to, I want, I want to obey him, right? I want, to be, I want my life to be light and salt in this world. And so the point here is that there needs to be evidence of new life, of this new relationship in some form or fashion. And Talkative's not going to have any of it, quite honestly. So if you go on here, um, so Talkative says, I perceive that our talk would be about the power of things. Okay, well, that's a very good question. And I should be willing to answer you. First, so he's just going to talk to just got rattling off stuff here. Where the grace of God is in the work of the heart, it causes a great outcry against sin. Secondly, and then Faithful stops him. Okay, wait, don't, you're, let's we'll take one point at a time. Let's just unpack what you're saying here. So Faithful corrects him, and he says here, it's not enough just to speak out against sin and decry it. We must hate it and flee from it. Okay? And because you know what Talkative says here, Talkative says here, where the grace of God is at work in the heart, it causes a great outcry against sin. So in other words, something about it says, like, you know, I, in my heart or in my, my, my opinion or perspective, something's wrong. And says, that's not enough, Faithful says. Faithful says, again, do you hate it? Okay? And so, for example, um, if you read this, when you read scriptures a lot of times, you'll see uh, verses like Psalm 97.10, where it says, hate evil, you who love the Lord. Or Psalm 119, verses 104 and 113, uh, the, the, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 
Um, you have Amos 5.15, hate evil, love good. Uh, you have Romans 7. You know, Paul's, you know, Romans 7 is really important in this whole context here where Paul says, but I'm doing the very thing I hate, right? So again, for, for the, one of the evidence of a changed heart again is that all the stuff that I do, all the things I don't want to do that I do, again, um, I hate it. I loathe it. I despise it. I look forward to the day when that sin will be removed from my life. And it is, as Paul talks about in Romans 7, it is this battle in, in Galatians 5 as well. And the talk basically says, hey, you're trying to trap me. Okay, you're, I, I get what you're trying to do here. You're trying to be tricky here. And, uh, and Faithful says, no, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to be precise here. I'm just trying to get to the heart of the matter. And so let's talk about your second sign here. Uh, what's the other thing you would, you would bring up? And talk says at the very bottom, page 9, great knowledge of gospel mysteries. Faithful tells him this evidence should have been mentioned first, but it's also false. It's possible to know much about the gospel and the things of God, yet be, uh, be nothing and so consequently be no child of God. Now, a go-to passage for this, this is not the only passage, but I'm just throw this one in here, is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul writes, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, there's our word there, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And this is my concern again about for myself again is that, that it's important for me to, to desire to know, to understand, to grow spiritually, to, to seek the mind of Christ, to be transformed by the word of God and to grow in godliness, okay? But again, um, if it's just words, if it's just knowledge, if it's just me trying to impress people, but there's no substance there, then there's something wrong, Right? And the reason I bring this up is that, unfortunately, there's a lot of people, okay, who think they're Christians because they have a lot of knowledge. But there's no life. There's no love. So on point C there, faithful points of Jesus' words of his disciples. If you know these things, blessed are if you do them. Uh, John 13, 17. It's not enough to know truth if our knowledge rests on the bare speculation of things. We need knowledge that compels us to obedience. Knowledge that is accompanied by the grace by the grace of faith and love, which puts a man upon doing even the will of God from the heart. Faithful concludes that the resolve of the psalmist to be a doer of the word, and of course you see this all over in the psalm, Psalm 119 in particular, give me understanding that I may keep your law, indeed I shall observe with my whole heart, Psalm 119 verse 34. Talk says, you're trying to trap me, you're trying to trap me, you're trying to set me up here. And uh, Talk says, I'm not trying to trap you. Uh, so Faithful says, well, if you please propound another, uh, what's another sign that shows this work of grace that reveals itself in his heart? And Talk says, well, um, I'm going to see we just won't agree on anything. Okay, uh, you're have, you have your view, I have my view, and basically we're not going to uh, be able to, to have a, a profitable uh, conversation. So what you have here is that um, uh, Talk is going to say, well, okay, uh, why don't you just propose something, just say something here, okay? So, um, Talkative says, you may if you desire. So, uh, Faithful's gonna say, to the person who has saving grace, there's, there's a couple points here. Number one, he feels the weight of his sin. The Spirit works in his heart, convicting him of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, John 16, eight. He grieves over his sin and is convinced of the certainty of impending judgment due to his sin. He believes God's word, that he who does not believe will be condemned, um, Mark 16, 16. He senses his great need for rescue and relief. He cries out with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7, 24. And with David, I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. Psalm 38, uh, 38, 18. 
Number point two, another saving grace is he turns away from his sin and looks to Christ for hope and forgiveness. He repents and believes in Christ alone to save him. He has no hope in himself or any other. Jesus has the words of eternal life, John 6, 68. He believes God's word and trusts in the promises given to us in Christ in the gospel. We are, we are justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. And you have verses that just support this over and over and over again. Number three, um, he has a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Saving grace changes his desires. He learns to love what God loves and hates what God hates. He desires to live a life pleasing to God. He pursues holiness and obedience to the word of God. You have a, from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You have Revelation 21, 6, and he said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. And then, of course, James, going back to James here, James 1.25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Point four, another evidence. He finds joy and peace in knowing Christ and living for him. He is humbled and grateful for all that Christ has done for him. He is indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit works in his heart to produce fruits of righteousness and break old patterns of sin. His life is no longer marked by selfishness and vain ambition. His joy and delight is to serve the Lord. And you got tons of verses that tie into this, and I'm not going to do that, read all of these just for the, just for the sake of time here. But um, your uh, application here on page 12 here, that saving grace is evident to the person who has it, though he may not be always to discern these evidences because of the ongoing struggle with remaining sin. This is one reason why we need others to walk with us in the Christian life, to help us to see how far we've come, to encourage us along the way, and to continue to exhort us to press on, flee from sin, and follow Christ. Okay, any questions up to this point? I've been gabbing for a while. My throat is parched. Um, any comments, thoughts so far? Last couple of times you have been really, really quiet, which scares me. I've been trying to be provocative, and I, maybe I'm... No. Yes, sir. For me, one of the things that is, feels like a big issue is sometimes I do feel like talkative, but also those first couple of evidences I felt, you know, the, the weight of sin and the Christ alone aspect, yeah. that every once in a while you just don't feel like you have that much of a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're right. And you feel really convicted, and, you know, the hunger and thirst comes from the power of the Spirit, not from any works of the flesh. Right. And sometimes you're almost like you fall into some legalistic thinking where it's just like, well, I got to do something even if I don't feel like it. Um, and I was wondering what you think about those kind of convictions and the balance. Okay. Before I answer, what about once I want to take a stab at it? I've got some godly people in this room who could answer this. Come on. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. I don't think I rank up with the godly people. No, yes, you do. But <laughs> I think the fact that you feel that yeah. says that your your mind is in the right place. Right. When that goes away. You're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. You become callous towards those things. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think that it's legalism when your heart is not in a particular place and you say... But I am going to do this because it is the right thing to do. We do that in marriage all the time. Right. Yeah, you look at your husband and you go, <laughs> 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 Repeat that. Reputation. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 
I'm not one of those girly people, I guess. Um, but you say, I, I made an oath, I made a covenant, I made this commitment, and therefore I am going to pursue this whether I feel like it today or not, right. because tomorrow the Lord is going to bless this effort. Right. Um, and so it's not legalism to just dig in and say, I'm going to hold on where I am today, even though I'm not in the right place, I'm going to keep pushing forward. Yeah. Jeff, what are you going to say? Your response to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. We don't, always, we don't always have that spiritual oomph and this, you know, lightheartedness and this love, you know, flowing right. through our veins of, for God that makes us do everything. Even David, I mean, it waxes away. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful psalms are ones where David just has no sense. Uh, Psalm 42, you know, I used to go in, in the assembly and lead the assembly in worship, and now I'm just lying in my bed drinking my tears. Yeah. And there appears to be no reason why if yeah. we do that song. Breck, what do you, what do you think? Oh, um... <laughs> I was gonna... I'm, I'm actually going in a different direction. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of... I always go back to First John when I think of, you know, these types of issues, assurance right. of salvation, and so much of what he's saying is falling within those three tests of how I know. But the one that's absent in this discussion anyway is just love for the brother. Yeah. And to me that that is one that always helps me kind of even when I'm in that state, I go back and I realize, no, but I love the brethren. I love to be with the brethren. I love, I love to be encouraged by them. Um, and that is anchoring. Right. That to me shows that there's a work in my heart. Because if I you says he loves God, but hates his brother. Right. 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 Get a lot of the liar passages in John, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that one is, uh, over and over again, he says how much that proves that we are in him. Yeah. So however I might feel in and of myself, I can go back to that and go, no, but, but I love the brethren. Right. Yeah. I agree, yeah. A lot of times when uh, I know that with, when Joyce and I are talking about things and we have this whole debate question like uh, this, there's a struggle going on there, it's almost like you have to walk it backwards a little bit and, uh, and to be reminded again, you know, do you love God? Do you love Christ? Um, do, you hate, do you hate your sin? Do you, do you love others? Um, there's all these evidences multiple in the scripture about, again, uh, of new life. And when you start thinking about it and you start and meditating upon it, you start realizing, yes, 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 yes. Now, not perfectly, but it's real. It, it, it's there, right? Compared to a person who doesn't care, or a person who's become callous, or a person who again um, uh, who would be t diametrically opposed, like this guy here, talkative, is diametrically opposed to any of this stuff. Again, and it's so bad. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's almost like um, it's a it's scandalous. That's kind of the language there, okay? And I don't again. I think the struggle is normal, okay? But we all go through it constantly. My problem, of course, is, uh, my, I have a lot of problems, but one of my problems is that you know, thinking again, knowledge is enough. Or thinking again, and, and thinking again, and thinking, well, I'm, I'm good because I've read so many books, or I've done this, or this, or this, and this, but again, it goes back to, again, do I love God? You know, do I, do I, does I want to be, uh, desire to be like Him, to be uh, holy? 
uh, do I want again to to be obedient and loving the brothers and praying for others and and serving um, et cetera et cetera and again that's something that God's doing to remind us again that you are truly safe and truly and you get that heart change does that make sense we yeah. have to be really super careful doing our feelings we do we as a western culture is just like that's just like out of control and our feelings must be dictated by truth not truth by right feelings. right and there's a balance there there's a balance i agree with you 100 percent. okay because again our felt feelings can be untrustworthy okay as, that's why as as we're digging into the truth our feelings come up to that truth and react to that truth. Yeah. I was just going to say not to like knock knowledge because we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of Right. So right. Like it's, a, it's a both and. Right. I'm thinking like when talk, Paul talks about knowledge puffs up, mm-hmm. you know, beloved edifies, this is kind of a puffing up kind of arrogance kind of thing. So. Yeah. All right. And, I'm that, sorry. and that old, that's one of my pet peeves. That's just what you're saying is that He's not saying don't be knowledgeable. Right. Yeah. I mean, God is all knowledge. Right. And we want to be like right. Him. So it's knowledge without love. Right. It's knowledge without love. I agree. That's what pops up. Yeah. Okay, so talkative is going to get ticked off. Big surprise. Okay. And basically, says, I don't want to be with you anymore. I have, you've, you've, I'm going to take my ball and go. And so they depart, all right. And uh, But talkative tried to witness to him. Um, and then what's going to happen next is evangelist is going to show back up again. He's going to have a conversation with these two guys, uh, saying he's, he's going to encourage them in the faith, say you've come a long way, God's with you, this is great, um, but unfortunately you're going to a place called Vanity Fair. And that's where we're going to stop it for next week. All right? Have a blessed day. <laughs>